welcome to Scotland's Choice Podcast. My name is Brendan O'Hara, MP for Argyland Butte, and we're doing things slightly differently this week because it's the first time we're doing the Westminster Roundup remotely. So you'll have to bear with us slightly as we work this out for ourselves. But as you can imagine, we have lots and lots and lots to get through. And helping get us through it is... Hello, it's Kirsty Blackman. I'm the MP for Aberdeen North. So we've got a packed agenda today. And obviously there is some massive breaking news with the Privileges Committee report on Boris Johnson. I mean, it's going to be interesting to discuss what lies ahead for uh, Boris, given the fact that the report is unbelievably critical of his behaviour. Now, did you work, use that word lies deliberately there? Uh, Kirsty, I'm Drew Hendry MP, and I make up the trio of this week's uh, Westminster Roundup uh, podcast. Well, it, it's really interesting. That one of the reasons we're doing this remotely is we're actually doing it after our opposition uh, day debate. Now, the SNP... Uh, took a debate to Parliament yesterday. Not the first time we've done this one on the cost of living crisis. Um, this one, but linked to Brexit and looking for a committee to be set up to look into the massive amount of loss and damage and you know, chaos that's been caused by the whole of the Brexit experiment, which has clearly gone wrong. And uh, that's what we took to Parliament, Brendan, yeah? Yeah, we, we did, and we did it uh, in a slightly different way from what would be normally expected of an opposition day to be, you know, you, you, the expectation would be that you'd put down a motion, MPs would debate the motion, and then it would just disappear into the ether. So we tried to get something which would force other parties to engage and, and, and try and block off those normal routes of escape that they could just say, ah, that's just the SNP, we're just going to ignore it. So we came up with a bit of a innovative way of setting up a brand new select committee. And that select committee would look at the evidence as to why we're going through this ridiculous cost of living crisis at the moment. And it would take evidence from experts and it would look at things particularly like Brexit and the impact. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But of course, Kirsty mentioned breaking news there in terms of, the, well, it's not a surprise, let's face it. This report coming back uh, to the House of Commons from the Privilege Committee, uh, but it looks pretty damning, doesn't it? It does look pretty damning. And This is on the Boris Johnson lies to Parliament, yeah. It says that um, they're suggesting suspension for 90 days. Now, obviously, he's now resigned as an MP, so suspension for 90 days doesn't um, quite pan out. But, I mean, I can't remember. 90 days seems like a massive length of suspension. The other thing that they're suggesting as part of the report is that he doesn't get a former member's pass, which means that he wouldn't, you know, former members are allowed to just, they get a pass, they get to just walk onto the estate, they get the um, the the. Uh, ability to access the estate and it's recommending that he doesn't get that because of the disingenuous nature of it because of the fact he's dis deliberately misled the house he's deliberately mi misled the committee and he's breached confidence and undermined the democratic process of the house and then lastly the other one they said is that he's been complicit in the campaign of abuse and attempted intimidation of the committee which is really, really strong words. I mean, a parliamentary committee to say this about a former prime minister is 
unbelievably, well, it feels to me really, really unprecedented for them to be so scathing in their remarks. Brendan, what's the most shocking thing to you? The, the fact that um, he's been found out, and I'm being, obviously I've got my tongue firmly in my cheek here as I'm asking this question, the fact he's been found out lying, or the fact that, which is probably more surprising, that this Tory-dominated committee has come out with such a damning verdict. I mean, it, it does show you how bad must this have been for a Tory-dominated committee to produce this report. Now, it's only been out for an hour. Uh, we have, we all, we've, we've seen the synopsis, we've skimmed through it, we haven't sort of read it cover to cover. But even going through it, you know, skimming through it, it's absolutely astonishing. I mean, uh, the the level of detail, I think it's 110 pages, 108 pages. No, the detail that it goes into gives Johnson absolutely no wiggle room at all. And it kind of explains why Johnson went up to Bob Rocket last week. He realised that this was probably more damning, more explosive, more instinctually than anything he could ever have imagined. And that kind of explains this dramatic overreaction last week. It feels really like... It just blows up points. It's been a long time coming. Sorry, this this kind of post-truth thing, you know? Donald Trump stands up and says things that are manifestly not true, you know? And some of the people that he's, you know, absolutely got back in him will just believe him, no matter whether, you know, he turns up and says, aye, the sky's pink, you know? Um, But (laughs) Boris Johnson is absolutely cut from the same cloth. It feels such a kind of post-truth situation. I'm hoping that for some of those people that are a, a bit more moderate, um, who are looking at the lies that have been told us in relation to Brexit, for example, the kind of scales might fall from their eyes a bit when they realise quite how disingenuous, quite how much of a... Um, it's it's intentional lies as well, right? It's deliberate. When they realise quite how deliberate this has, attempts to mislead people have been, hopefully some people will look at Brexit and think, well, maybe actually well, we're never going to get this sunny uplift lands that we were um, we were promised by Boris Johnson because it's very clear that the man is a liar through and through. It, indeed, and, and Brendan, I mean, we're, we're talking about this the, the shocking nature of this report because it's come from a Tory-dominated committee, but there's nothing here that shocks us. We've, we've been in debates in the House of Commons where we've actually had the authority, you know, which is quite extraordinary to actually describe Boris Johnson as a liar during debates um, because of the fact that it was just so uh, so clear and unactionable um, that he was doing all this stuff. It, it, it's, it, it's almost like at last we've seen some recognition of this, but it's been going on for years that he's been getting away with this. Well, he has been getting away with this, and it's that upper crust entitlement that is probably bred into you, eaten, that you can do what you like, when you like, to who you like, and there'll be no consequences of it. And he's gone through his life doing this. He's gone through his life, it would appear, you know, just telling a lie, a barefaced lie, to get him over the hurdle that's just directly in front of him, never believing that those lies will ever come back to catch him. Um, He's been caught, he's been exposed, he's been punished rightly 
but who would write him off? And in this, in this environment in which we live, who would really write him off? Because he has a cohort of true believers and he, in his heart of hearts, believes that he can come back from this. He believes he could survive this. And who knows? Well, it'd be nice to see some actual consequences. You know, we've got a situation where this man is so immensely privileged, where he has so much more than the vast majority of people in Scotland. He has never wanted for anything in his life. And, you know, uh, probably despite this report, despite whatever, you know, comes of the consequences of this report, he's going to continue to be massively wealthy. He's going to continue to be massively privileged and powerful and all of that. And actually, you know, given the debate that we had yesterday about the struggles that our constituents are facing, you can see why some of the Tories are just so unbelievably removed from the lives of people across Scotland, because it's just a different world that they inhabit. Well, just on that, Kirsty, is it? Is it your view that, um, well, let, just let me ask you what your view is of, of how long it's taken, how much he's got away with, and how long it's taken for Parliament to actually take uh, some action. I mean, we're, we are talking about years of abusing the system here. And I think when we get, Brendan's quite rightly said, there's a lot of detail to go through, but uh, this has been systematic. And it it's a Parliament that doesn't act uh, effectively or quickly you know, this might be an extreme exception, but it doesn't act quickly or effectively when these things are happening. Aye, and, you know, we've got a situation where ministers can come and um, basically ignore the ministerial code at every opportunity. The ministerial code, they're supposed to abide by it. You know, they're supposed to do things like make statements in the House before they make statements elsewhere. And they're supposed to do things like give notice of um, things that they're doing. They're supposed to not misuse the power of the executive. And it does expose the fact that the rules that there are in the Westminster Parliament mean that those consequences are a long time coming if they ever do. And it doesn't feel to me like the consequences that Boris Johnson is going to feel um, are uh, commensurate that they relate entirely to the the crimes that he has committed. You know, Um, he should be facing much heavier consequences. But the fact, and so should Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng, you know, about the fact that they are putting people through absolute misery in the pursuit of personal power. Mm. Well, let's turn to um, the SNP's Opposition Day debate because it is the most uh, talked about issue on the doorsteps just now, the cost of living. Uh, Kirsty, uh, we um, we had our debate yesterday, um, very interesting uh, in terms of how uh, that went. Um, you know, first of all, what did you think of the, the, the concept of doing that? It was immensely clever. Now, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to some of the uh, procedures and some of the um, standing orders and things like that. I think that they're fascinating and really important, um, you know, because the way that... uh, the way the parliament runs, the way that democracy runs is reliant on the standing orders being sufficient, it's reliant on the rules of this place um, being sufficient. The fact that, um, uh, I say we came up with this concept, I'm not taking any uh, personal responsibility for it, the fact that this concept of being a select committee was come up with, I don't think there's a precedent for this, I think it's amazing that this um, idea was thought of and you know, it actually is something that the House can do, the House can without the government say so, um, set up a select committee to examine this and um, during the course of Alan Smith's speech, he spoke about the precedents for these kind of investigative committees that there has been around the world in Ireland, for example, and Denmark. Um, he spoke about those. And actually, this is, as you said, the most important issue for people. 
people are wondering how they're going to pay their energy bills. They're wondering how they're going to afford food with a you know massive food price inflation that there continues to be, and they're wondering how on earth have we got in to this mess. And we were both talking yesterday about the um, the consequences um, of Brexit, about the way out of this mess, and about the fact that actually, while we're still tied to the Westminster system, uh, while we don't have independence and all the levers that comes with that, then we don't have the flexibility to be able to protect our constituents and promote now, their uh, well-being that we need. Now, Bre Brendan, you, you spoke in this debate, as did I, uh, yesterday. Now, I want to come back to your contribution, but first of all, let me ask you, what, what did you think about, I've just got to ask your impressions of the chamber. For people that haven't seen it on TV or people that weren't there yesterday, um, with the single hottest issue um, on the doorsteps, the biggest thing that people are talking about just now, what were your impressions of the start of the debate yesterday? Oh, I mean, it was like, it was like desert. It was like a waste, apart from one week corner for rewear. Um, you know, I think... There was two Labour backbenchers spoke and one Conservative backbencher spoke and not a single Lib Dem spoke. And it was, it, it, the, the optics of it were absolutely appalling. Um, and it, it speaks to that sort of tribal nature that, you know, we were talking about setting up this select committee on the biggest and most important issue of the day. And what was really important about the motion yesterday was it was amendable. And so it was lengthy and it was detailed, but opposition parties could have amended it to make it better. To now, make it now that's it. I just want to pick up on that because that's important because, you know, the, the all of the parties know, they've all been, you know, these are all traditional Westminster parties that have been there for uh, decades, in some cases hundreds of years of one form or another, um, in the uh, the house there. So they all know the way these things work when you're talking about something being amendable, a, a motion being amendable. So when the Lib Dems in particular uh, got up to complain that they weren't directly included because they're so tiny uh, in the numbers in terms of the original proposal, they had options. Of course they had options. It would have been very, very easy for them to amend the motion. But what they, they chose to do was say, this uh, this uh, motion doesn't have a seat on it on the committee for the Liberal Democrats. Therefore, we are not taking part in it. We are not voting. We are storming out. The Tories said there isn't a big enough room in the House <laughs> of Commons uh, to to have a committee of this size. Therefore, we are not supporting it. You know, both of those things were amendable, discussable, and so they took the minutia where it suited them. Yeah. and ripped this up rather than saying you know, what a select committee on the cost of living crisis and the impact of Brexit and other factors on that cost of living crisis you know, we're not interested in doing that because the Lib Dems aren't on it or they're in a room big enough in which to hold it I thought the Lib, the Lib Dems uh, position was the most nonsensical one, actually. Um, you know, you can understand the Tories have um, been unashamedly supportive of Brexit, for example, and the Lib Dems. You know, yesterday, um, the contributions that was heard from, uh, they weren't actually speaking of the debate, but the interventions that we heard from Christine Jardine, from Jamie Stone, just showed how utterly irrelevant and out of touch uh, the Lib Dems are these days they stood up and said oh we don't like this motion because we're not on it rather than standing up and saying 
my constituents are feeling the pain of food pl- exactly. price inflation and this is caused by Brexit. You know, they should have taken the opportunity, grandstand, ra- you know, rather than to whine about the way that the SNP's motion is crafted. And as you say, Brendan, they could have chosen to amend it and they didn't. Um, they yeah. just decided that this wasn't an important issue and so they weren't going to sort of speak about now they, and you remember what they did though they they came in early, stunted and bald about not being on it, then flounced out the chamber. <laughs> you never saw them again. The the Lib Dems betrayed themselves yesterday. They really did. Uh, well, Philip, Doctor Philippa Whitford um, started off the debate for us, and she was making a key point about the fact that as a doctor, um, she said the first step for someone dealing with any problem is to admit that they have one. And it it was clear that, you know, when you're looking around the Labour benches, you look around the Tory benches, we just talked about the Lib Dems, it it was clear that there was no willingness to admit that was a problem. They're they're all terrified to go anywhere near Brexit, and we know that um, with it. Uh, But but Kirsty was saying, you know, and reiterating a point I said earlier, this is the biggest issue of the day for people. People are really struggling um, in their households, and it's quite bizarre um, that they uh, that they they should choose to ignore this problem. It, we also heard, you know, Mary Black making an intervention there, talking about the fact that uh, you know the cost of living crisis is an issue, but we're seeing prices rise because um, you know because sometimes produce is going to waste. You know, we don't have people to pick fruit. We don't have people to do the farming because it's another aspect of, of Brexit. These are big and real issues for industry, for people, for uh, for the cost of living, for everything across, not just Scotland, uh, although it affects us disproportionately in some sectors, but across the whole of the UK. I thought it was really good as well to hear Philippa talking about well-being, yeah. um, you know, about the fact that the decisions that the Scottish government makes are on the basis of well-being for our population and on the basis of trying to make lives better for us. I don't think anybody could argue, looking at the decisions the Tories have taken over the past few years, that they have even considered the well-being of people mm. um, in the decisions that they are making. If they had, and one of the kind of themes that we might come back to is the fact that um, a number of our members asked the Tories if they could give us a benefit mm. for Brexit. Right. And the the Tories stood up and said, yeah, sure, I'll give you a benefit of Brexit in a minute when I come on to that in my speech and no benefits of Brexit (laughs) were forthcoming. They can't even think of, they can't can't even, you know, come up with a why. They just (laughs) ignore the question completely. Now, now, Brendan, when when Philippa was doing her introduction, she made it clear that not all of the uh, cost pressures are due to Brexit. There are other factors. She was talking about, you know, their impacts from the Ukraine war, but... Uh, we know that there are also some, you know, remnants of post-COVID um, issues as well. But it, it's really clear that in terms of the issues we were debating yesterday, that Brexit was the key factor. Um, and but but the Tories, you know, well, the, the few that were there, um, you know, were just trying to say, oh, you're trying to ignore the other factors. That's not the case. What we were doing here was linking this. Uh, you know, these issues. The idea of this committee was that government policy would be dictated by evidence, not hearsay and not partisan, you know, preconceived notions about what is and what isn't. And Philippa was right. Obviously, there's a COVID lag. 
she's she was right to say that um, the war in Ukraine is having an impact, but that's the only thing these people talk about. Nobody talks about Brexit because the Tories pretend that it has no impact at all, and the Labour Party are too feared to yeah. talk about it. And so what they did yesterday, rather than talk about the issue or address the motion, they just got up and they just, you know, attack after attack after attack on Scottish government, on independence. And it was just, it was like watching people going round in a medical round. And you're just like, well, why not address this motion? Because this motion, I believe, I really do, I believe that this motion did play with our heads. Yeah. Because they didn't know how to address it properly. And therefore, they just came out all guns blazing about Scotland and the perceived feelings and fairies yesterday, you know, on a motion to set up a select committee on, on cost of living. But Brendan, come come on. I mean, it's a bit of a revolutionary concept in this place to actually take decisions on the basis of evidence. <laughs> we can, but try. <laughs> exactly. So, if there's one thing we can leave behind when we go, it's uh, maybe to change the fact that they listen to experts and that they make the base their decisions on on evidence. And, and I've I've got to say, one of the most enjoyable moments of uh, Philippa's speech wasn't actually Philippa speaking. It was the intervention from uh, the the Tory single and fair play to him, the single Tory backbencher who turned up uh, to actually take part, uh, David Dugat. But um, but he he came up with a wonderful line when uh, Philippa Whitford was talking about the fact that this has caused a five percent dropping GDP for the UK. And I, no, 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 it's 4%. <laughs> As if that's somehow uh, great. So we can argue about the, uh, the, the, the level of the massive impact, the massive deficit it's caused, but it was an admission that there was a massive uh, uh, deficit actually caused by there. And, and one of the things that struck me about the debate, the, the Minister John Lamont was... Uh, talking about all the support that's given out. And, you know, it's a wee bit like that old thing about the setting house to the fire and then kind of running with a bottle of, uh, a bucket of water to try and uh, uh, put the fire out. You know, the, yes, it the, the sounds like, the, you know, there's been big money spent to help people in the economy. Where it's being spent is not always the right thing. And it's a drop in the ocean in terms of the effects that we've got for people in their houses. But there's also the point, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking about billions and billions and billions of pounds worth of revenue, tax revenue, and, and everything else being lost every year. And and it, it just it just feels increasingly uh, bizarre when you're sitting down there watching them just trying to ignore that problem and saying, no, no, uh, you know, and they can't blame the EU anymore, but they're still trying to do things like blame the EU or find some other scapegoat to put it on. So uh, Lamont said yesterday that there's been 94 billion um, of cost of living support from the UK government. Now, I just want to say that that includes things like freezes on alcohol duty, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, they've said this is cost of living support. We are freezing alcohol duty. Therefore, you are better off as a result. Now, you know, however, however you want to take that. But actually, if you look at what Scotland's economy has lost directly as a result of Brexit, it's nearly half of that 94 billion. You know, that's just just Scotland yeah, has lost, never mind the rest of the UK. It, it, I mean, exactly. the numbers are, you're right, a drop in the ocean. And if you ask folk if they feel poorer or if they feel richer, 
as a result of Brexit, they feel poorer as a result of Brexit. They feel their food prices are going through the roof because they are. And, you know, the, the stats that were quoted yesterday on some of the um, comparing us to um, comparing the UK to similar uh, OECD or G7 countries, looking at looking at that, you know, it's very clear that the UK is doing proportionately worse than those other countries. And that can be directly attributed to Actually, two things. Brexit is one of them, but the 13 years of Tory austerity cannot be underestimated and how much that has decimated our public services um, as well as investment. And of course, Brendan, we've got to be fair here because there is another big impact that we haven't mentioned in this discussion we're having here just now, which is the Trust Quartang uh, mini budget, which was another factor that's affecting us in terms of people's uh, unit mortgage rates. And we know a lot of people on fixed mortgage rates are going to have to change soon. Yeah, and again, again, Stephen's contribution at PMQs yesterday, he absolutely skewed Sunak on that. Root, for those people uh, listening, like, just remind us what he said. Well, he repeated Sunak's words back to him, uh, which he said during his failed leadership campaign. You know, when you lose a, a leadership campaign to Liz Truss, you know, you're... Uh, and those words were, under terms of mortgage rate rises... It's going to tip millions of people into misery and it's going to mean we have absolutely no chance of winning the next election. <laughs> That's exactly what Sunak said about it previously and now look what is happening. <laughs> Indeed. He, his response was, oh, I can't remember what his response was. It was some absolute you know, obfuscation and nonsense or attempt at humour. But uh, I, And Stephen absolutely... You're them hoist by his own petard, I think they would seem, wouldn't they? Indeed, indeed. And another... Going back to the debate, another um, really kind of telling point was one that David Linden, uh, MP, brought in. He, and I think I'm quoting him right. If he said, one impact is that in a normal independent country, we would not have more food banks than branches of McDonald's. And that's mm-hmm. precisely why we want to ensure that our consistent constituents are not going to food banks as a result of the cost of living crisis in which the government are asleep at the wheel. Well, I'd, I'd say they're worse than asleep. They're not at the wheel. Yeah, but being, being the MP for the only constituency in the whole of the UK who doesn't have a McDonald's in it. Yeah, indeed, I, yes, but you've got food banks. You've got, yeah. you've got plenty, plenty of food banks, sadly. But the yeah. uh, the, the impact on, on rural communities was, I'm, I'm glad that that was raised. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you raised as well, Andrew, mm-hmm. you know, that the cost of heating a home in, in rural Scotland is astronomical and you know 70% of people in Argyland Butte are either in at risk of fuel poverty or extreme yeah. fuel poverty and things are more expensive here and wages are lower here so the impact of the cost of living if you live in a rural community and you're not extremely wealthy are catastrophic and, and I, I absolutely underlined that in my speech but the point I went on to make is that and people know that it's coming back again. The fuel costs uh-huh. are coming back to them again because the energy prices haven't dropped to a level where they're um, anywhere near manageable. And we know that uh, we're sitting in good weather just now, which is great, so people don't have to use their heating and things like that. Uh, but they know that time's coming again where they're going to face those high bills. And a lot of them will be looking at higher mortgage bills um, and a lot of people renting, private renting, will be looking at higher private rent because the owners of those properties uh, will be paying higher 
uh, mortgages for them. Aye, and um, it was really good to hear you guys talking about that. And uh, there was an awful lot of talk about um, the kind of structure of the energy markets and the the systems around that. Alan Brown mentioned quite a few um, issues that there are with the way that the UK has not reformed um, how energy is structured. And I mean, you guys, uh, as representatives of rural constituencies, know more about that than I do. But, uh, you know, the issues we connect in the grid... Um, if you are a renewable energy producer, for example, and the costs of that, but also the issues with paying for energy, there is just higher bills in rural Scotland, isn't there, just as a result of the structure Absol of the market? Absolutely. And we start Absolutely, from a place yeah. where we're paying more. The other issue that, um, you know, in terms of the cost of living, and, and Chris Stevens made this point when during an intervention, and he, he mentioned that inflation is at 19.2% for food. Now, you know, that, that's bad enough. 192 nearly 20%, you know, fifth of what you would spend on food, uh, you know, increase um, from there. But but it doesn't tell the whole story because the basic foodstuffs, in many cases, have actually gone up a, an awful lot more than that. Um, you know, things like uh, rice and pasta and, you know, even the normal staples like bread, milk and so forth have shot up beyond that. And that's a real... Um, stress point for people and that directly related to Brexit. Yeah, I, I think it was a Chris that, that, that mentioned the fact that it was that the biggest increase was in um own brand. Yeah. So that that's all own brand stuff which is always cheaper anyway. And if you're on a really fixed budget, you could rely on own brand beans or pasta or whatever. And that's where the biggest thing he says. So yet again a much bigger proportion of this hit is going on those who can afford at least. And yeah. you kind of avoid buying pasta or rice or tatties or, you know, the most basic foodstuffs. You can't avoid buying those just as you can't avoid paying rent or a mortgage or energy costs. You know, these are not things that people can just cut back on. And actually, one of the things that Marion Fellows mentioned in um, her speech was around the costs for disabled households who are also um, disproportionately impacted. So um, Scope have estimated the cost of living in a disabled household is £975 a month. And she was asking about um, ministers about how much does it cost for uh, in energy costs for somebody to have five machines overnight in order to, you know, switched on in order to keep their disabled child alive. You can't not have those machines switched on. Mm. But actually, the increase or the amount of um, uh, Social Security uh payments and energy support payments that have been made to those families is not nearly enough to cover either that or the specialist diets that a lot of people in um, disabled families need. Um, so, you know, I think that was a really good, um, a I think it's, a really, it's yeah. a really awful thing, but it was a really good, important um, issue for Marion to raise there. Now, I, I just want to come back, um, Brendan, to talk about, Stephen Bonner was making a point, um, you know, he represents in, in Cope Bridge, Chrysler and Bells Hill, an area where, you know, there's uh, you know a lot of people who, it's a, it's a traditional old school kind of uh, working class uh, constituency where in the past where, you know, Labour have dominated and they're supposed to be, you know, you're challenging, coming on, you know, looking for, you know, to regain the voice of the people. And yet, as I said earlier, they didn't turn up. He was saying, um, you know, yesterday that they, the Labour members should have joined us in opposing the madness of Brexit, but instead they've endorsed it. They've stood shoulder to shoulder with the Tories and they continue 
to ignore Scotland's democratic will. And just after Deirdre um, popped in to say that, you know, she was she asked if Stephen found it extraordinary that Labour continues to insist that somehow it will make Brexit work. I think I said later on, make Brexit great again, um, you know, was the, the thing I said. Brenda, it's just, it, it, it's bizarre to, to hear, well, in fact, we didn't hear Labour really very much yesterday, but it's bizarre from the take this line, isn't it? But they know, they, they, they know it's nonsense. They know that they cannot make Brexit work. I think the example I gave in my screen was it's like, no, Keir Starmer saying to King Canute, move over. I'll bring you out to stop the tide. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. And it, and it's a complete lie. And it's a any it's either a delusion or it's a complete lie. And they know it is. And it's just it's it's done because they think that to win these red wall seat backs uh, back from, from from the Tories. They've got to out-Brexit the Tories. Now, the world and their brother knows Brexit has been an economic disaster. And those who have been hit worse by Brexit are those who are at the, 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 the bottom end of the income scale. And that's a lot of your red wall seats. So rather than taking on the issue, when the Tories are spiralling into the drain, rather than having the gumption and the guts to say, you know what? You know, we'll go back to the single market. Mm. We'll go back to the customs union. We'll look again at free movement of people because without these things, this is just going to continue. But they have doubled down on it. But they don't need to. But all the economic evidence says they don't need to. All the polling evidence says they don't need to. Their obsession with winning back north of England Brexit voters blinds them to everything else. And it's just, it's remarkable to see. And, and it's actually imposing that. I mean, Brexit is a self-harm, a state-based self-harm anyway, in, in the way, particularly in the way they've handled it um, up until now. But, you know, but there are so many other missed opportunities. Alan Brown, we were talking about energy a few minutes ago, but Alan Brown was talking about the fact that uh, the government, and our UK government are arguing they're leading the way in renewable energy. And, you know, I've got some points that they can, they can point to, but... Uh, but they've missed so many opportunities in supply chain development. I also made the point yesterday about the fact the UK government are doing nothing about uh, green hydrogen and trying to access the uh, the US um, uh, additional monies that have been put into the US to, to to prime pump this and get into the supply chain. But uh, but but he was saying that it's just you know we're losing out on all these opportunities because the the. They're not doing anything. And worse than that, they're actually, because of Brexit, they've set up a situation where they seem prepared to break the rules. And, and Alan said, we're talking about the same levers, you know, as in leave the EU uh, folk, who now want to break international treaties. And we've seen this time and time again. They're, they're prepared to do anything, you know, they're prepared to squander uh, farmers' livelihoods by just capitulating on a deal with, uh, Australia um, for massive imports without any uh, real barriers to them. And and it's the same with New Zealand. The farmers and the business in New Zealand and Australia are jumping for joy, the terms they've got, whereas farmers here are going to lose money. It is. I mean, you know, it's it's absolutely grim, the fact. And then and then you, you couple that with the internal market bill and stuff and the way that um, the UK government have set up 
the post-Brexit world to overstep and to um, meddle in devolved competences and to make our farmers' lives even worse, you know, not just with the trade deals, but with the um, fact that they're kind of doing these, um, a, they're, they're, I don't know, they're just doing everything they can to be as obstructive as possible. And we're about to see, and it was mentioned a number of times during the debate, we're about to see uh, an increase in the um, the food checks of food coming in from the EU. We're about to see an extra 43 quid um, on each shipment of food that's coming in. So we're going to see further increases in it. And it's just very clear that people here in Westminster, particularly on the Tory benches, but also on the Labour benches and also on the Lib Dem benches, you know, from yesterday's debate, they do not have the best interests of people. And, and Brendan, you, you were making a point about the red tape um, the, or the so-called bonfire of the red tape. I think you were quoting um, everybody's... Uh, yes, you, you were the, the Honourable Member from North East Somerset, indeed, um, and quoting yeah. him about... And tell me if I got the quote right from him. We are freeing people in this country from red tape because we look at the United Kingdom playing a global role trading with the globe, being as economically productive as anywhere in the world, dot, dot, dot. That is why the EU is a failing economic option and why we sing hallelujahs for having left it. It's just yeah. massive arrogance. Almost, almost exactly a year ago today, he said that, yeah. uh, when I, I raised a, a, a point at Cabinet Office questions about a company which had seen its markets collapse and, you know, Completely wrapped up in red tape, uh, the cost should go to the root. And he said, well, that's not our fault, that's the EU's fault. And we are going to be a global player. We are going to be a world leader. And we will sing, we, we are currently singing hallelujahs for having left the EU. Now, you tell that to small, medium sized businesses across the UK, I don't think you hear many people singing hallelujah because this is an unmitigated disaster for so many people at so many small, medium-sized uh, companies. Well, look, we'll, we'll finish on the, indeed, the last contribution from uh, one of our members in the de debate, which was Alan Smith. And he, he was pointing out that, you know, the, 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 the Tories and Labour tried to portray us as only ever going on about uh, independence, despite the fact that we've brought uh, two cost of the living debates in the, in the last uh, couple of debates, you know, talking about things that really matter to people. And it's quite bizarre that, you know, trying to be the grown-ups in the room, as Alan Smith was pointing out yesterday, and he was talking about the belief that politicians should work together where there are real problems uh, for uh, for people to be dealt with, talking about the fact that he spent 16 years in the European Parliament with all these different groups trying to work together to get solutions and, uh, and all of those things. And the fact that we had the empty chamber, we had that complete lack of engagement yesterday. Uh, Kirsty, you know, it, it doesn't. You can try and play by uh, the, the the Westminster setup, but unless the Westminster setup wants to go that way, um, it's just going to ignore you in the same way as ignoring the people of Scotland. I exactly. The government has got so much power just by being the government, and you know, no matter who is sitting in that Prime Minister's chair, no matter who is in number 10 Downing Street, we have a situation where the UK government can do what it likes to Scotland because it's so much bigger than us. That's why we don't have things like workers' rights devolved to Scotland. That's why we don't have 
all of the powers and levers that we need in order to protect our population, in order to try and make things better and to have that better, fairer country. Um, and, you know, that's why you look at this place and I don't understand how anybody could argue that Westminster works. Westminster certainly doesn't work for the people of Scotland in the only way that we can get what we need, what our population needs, the best possible, fairest future for us is to be free of this horrific place. And, and Brendan, oh, let me thank Westminster works for those for whom it needs to work. Indeed. And let, let, let's just, you know, wrap up this conversation talking about the, the vote uh, that was held at the end of that. Now, we expected the Tories are wedded to, absolutely wedded to Brexit to vote against having a committee to look at what could be learned, uh, what, um, you know, solutions could be found and adjustments could be made. We expected the Tories to vote against that. You're a chief whip for the SNP. What was the result of the vote yesterday? I think fair to say, we got well cuffed. <laughs> the result was the eyes were 43 and the nose were 260. Indeed. I mean, Can you go? And we 260 had... people voted against setting up a committee to look into the cost of living crisis and the impact of Brexit on it. I vote to say, Kathy, 43? 43, aye. Yeah. 43 people out of a membership of 650 wanted to look at it. So if you want to know how out of touch Westminster is on the lives of the Scottish people, look at that debate and look at those figures. And you, you, you convince yourself that somehow that's reformable to work in your interests. You're barking up a gum tree. Now, I'll need to check out, I don't know myself if the Lib Dems voted against or if they just abstained, but we know that Labour abstained um, yesterday. And I think that tells you everything you need to know about the parties at uh, Westminster. We've run out of time, um, slightly longer episode, a bit of a departure for us in terms of our usual Westminster roundup, because as Brendan said at the opening of this, we've done it remotely in order to catch the after debate um, action. And of course, we had that breaking news earlier uh, about uh, the report that's come into Boris Johnson, which is not a surprise in terms of its content, but it is a surprise that a Tory-led committee has found um, him so uh, so palpably guilty of the, what he's been accused of over the past uh, few years. I'm sure we'll have more to come on that in the future. Uh, all that remains to say is a few um, goodbyes. We'll start with Brendan. A goodbye. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you on the next episode. Kirsty. See you next week, folks. Okay, well, and it's a goodbye from me, Drew Hendry, as well. Um, you can find more episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot.